All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. The podcast brought to you by the fine folks at readrothbard.com and actualanarchy.com. And today is a very special show. We're going to be talking about dazing and views with a very special guest. But first, let's say hello to Robert. How you doing, Robert? What's up, everybody? I'm uh, doing great. Living life, loving it. How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing well, man. Wide awake, bushy-tailed. Got up at 5.30 in the morning today with the kids. And uh, from our pre-show talk, I think you got up a little later than that. But no problem. No problem at all. Yeah, no. I'll do my best. Uh, I, who knows? Who knows? I'm... Still kind of fuzzy, but I'm excited to do this movie, and we got a great guest on, so let's do this. All right. Well, before we get going, I just want to mention to everyone that we're working on a super special secret project that uh, our Patreon subscribers will have access to first dibs on, and it's going to be called the Rothbard Repository. I'll tell you more about it uh, on future shows, but just know that it's a ton of work, but I think it's going to be a really fun, cool thing to have, and uh, just a little teaser for now. But uh, up next, let's introduce our guest. Robert, why don't you break it down who he is, and then we'll give him the floor for a few minutes. Yeah, you probably know, if you're into like libertarianism, libertarian podcasts at all, you know this guy. He's on, uh, he, up until recently, he was a big part of the, part of the problem, the Dave Smith uh, podcast. And he has his own podcast called Mike Adelic. It's the one and only Mike Brancatelli. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Feeling refreshed, full of energy and life, ready to do this thing uh, over here on the Eastern Time Zone. And uh, yeah, good, good to connect with you guys. Good to be, good to be on a podcast with a couple of people that are devoted to Rothbardianism, as we like to say, and uh, you know, uh, the anarchist philosophy. So, so good to be here. And uh, yeah, just. Um, Right now, I'm I'm kind of focusing on uh, on this podcast, like you mentioned. I was part of part of the problem. Now I'm I'm doing Mikeadelic, and uh, that's pretty much what I got going on. I'm just kind of trying to focus on making that show as awesome as it possibly can be, and uh, and and doing that. So I put out a show a week and try and book guests and and talk about all things psychedelic and anarchist uh, as well. Yeah, I so, definitely recommend checking that out. Um, I Surprise, uh, I guess you just get into this movement and you find people and they find you. I mean, we've, we've found, um, we've got this, uh, like Indian professor guy writing for us now. He's writing some amazing things. It's, it's, you really, you put yourself out there and I guess you find, you find good people. Um, I live in this kind of, um, barren wasteland of socialism, <laughs> but, um, thanks to the modern world and the technology that we live in, um, yeah, you can find uh, like-minded people. It's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, me and you both, I mean, I'm in New York, so it's like, you know, such a blue, blue state here and, and just, uh, you know, dem, dem socialists everywhere you see, you know, it's like, uh, it's like the, it, 
walking down the street in New York City is like uh, the video game Doom. You know, you gotta. There's just like there's there's not a lot of libertarians and anarchists around, so it's you gotta find them. Put it, put your voice out there and connect. And glad to be connecting with you guys today. Fantastic. Well, the movie we're talking about is Dazed and Confused. It's a uh, it's a 1993 comedy um, by good old Richard Linklater, who also did Scanner Darkly, School of Rock, uh, Boyhood, Waking Life. And this is a movie, I mean, to date me, uh, this is a movie who's, I mean, this is right around the time I was graduating high school. So um, I, when the soundtrack came out, this is, you know, you bought the CD and this is like just, and reliving this movie, I hadn't seen it probably in 20 years. And the, I mean, it's probably been stated a million times, but the soundtrack really is amazing. Uh, just every song that comes on really fits the the vibe and the theme of the movie. Um but uh, if anybody, Daniel, if you have any like other kind of opening like statements or anything you want to make before we get into the like scene by scene analysis, it's like a it follows like everybody, like a group of uh, high schoolers on their last day of school. And that's about the entire plot of the movie. Um, there's I mean, there's a lot of things that happen and we'll definitely get into it. But um, Daniel, you have any uh, opening uh, comments? I certainly do. Yeah, I'm just going to read the uh, Google description, which I don't think is quite accurate, but uh, it's here and, and might as well, right? So uh, this coming-of-age film follows the mayhem of a group of rowdy teenagers in Austin, Texas, celebrating the last day of high school in 1976, the uh, bicentennial year of the United States of America. The graduating class heads for a popular pool hall and joins an impromptu keg party. However, the star football player Pink Floyd has... Randall Pink Floyd, played by Jason London, has promised to focus on the championship game and abstain from partying. Meanwhile, the incoming freshmen try to avoid being hazed by the seniors, most notably the sadistic bully Fred O'Banion, by, played by Ben Affleck. And that's all it says, which I don't know if that's entirely accurate. Uh, I know when I was watching the film for the first time, you know, 20 years ago, uh, I don't know if I was really following it as closely to really understand what the plot was and, and watching it again just the other day. I still don't really think there's much of a plot. It's just sort of like, it's almost a documentary. They're just following people around for about a day, and you kind of see some different you know, snippets of different cliques and groups and uh, instances of high school that they're sort of, I don't know, sort of glorifying in a way. But uh, I still think it has some interesting concepts to talk about. Uh, and just for our uh, fans who enjoy the Rotten Tomatoes ratings that we mentioned, this one got a 94%, so people are big fans of this. Yeah, at what point... Does Randall Pink Floyd doesn't want to party and he's promised to focus on the championship game? What that that doesn't happen at all in the movie that, that I recall. No, not at all. Uh, I think he's talking about you know playing the next season and they're going to have a good team and so they're going to focus on being the best team they can be. But the coach wants them to sign this uh, this contract, basically a guilt trip contract that says they're not going to be promiscuous chasing the muff around or do any drinking or drugs so they can be a good team and then you know maybe win a championship the next year but yeah this description here doesn't really lay that out correctly yeah definitely not so speaking of that pledge so this for me this is a you know if you're a this is a voluntary organization right i mean we're talking about a quasi non voluntary situation in public high school where sometimes it's voluntary and sometimes it's not. Sometimes the punishment is more school. 
sometimes it's less school. But in a like in Kapistan, if this is a, a voluntary organization where say, hey, this is we're the guys that beat you up when you enter, I have no problem with that, right? You're you're voluntary entering and this is the rules and that's gonna be a great signal for people about whether they want to join you or not. Um, so things like the UFC or professional football, you know, it's basically organized voluntary violence and it's perfectly fine. But, and this is where it kind of gets sticky is, I guess not for me sticky because you can not play high school football if you don't want to, but, um, you are kind of forced to go to school. So did anybody, either of you guys have an issue with this pledge or did you see it as, I don't know, just like some sort of a voluntary thing. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, it's definitely, I think it's definitely a voluntary thing because I think, I think the, the movie's trying to like, you know, it's playing on his split between like, he wants to just hang out and party versus like, you know, make a commitment to do something. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, you're, you're kind of, you're forced to be in school. And I guess while you're there, you have the voluntary option to participate in extracurricular activities. And so if you choose to participate in those activities and there's some sort of, you know, agreement that needs to be made in order for you to participate, then I think that's full on voluntary. You know, it's, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with that really. Well, I'd add to that, that he'd been playing for a few years already and not had to sign such a pledge. So this was like a new, uh, piece introduced to something he was already doing. And now they're changing the rules of the game. And oh, so I, I'd argue that, you know, he'd homesteaded the uh, ability to play <laughs> on that team without signing such a contract. But it's still a voluntary organization, Daniel. They can change the rules of the game. They change the rules of football all the time. That is true. Now, did, did, um, you know, Adam Goldberg's character, he plays Mike Newhouse, I believe. Um, he calls it Neo McCarthyism. Did you, do you agree with that? I don't know. I, may, possibly. I mean, I guess if he sees, if he sees the Neo McCarthyism as being like, uh, you know, some kind of authoritarian crackdown, I, I, usually when I hear McCarthyism, I hear like, uh, I, I automatically think of, um, you know, kind of a, uh, fear or, you know, over, uh, hyping, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, threat or something like that. But, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would maybe side with that guy because that guy seems to be kind of smart in the movie. He kind of knows what's going on. <laughs> so I like that character. Uh-huh. He seems smart, so I'll agree. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, they are kind of trying to find the the drug doers and root out those kind of people. And the, But, uh, anyway, uh, any more on that before we move on? Well, actually, yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously, I mean, I, I would have to interject with, with this piece about the, you know, the drug doers and things like that, because it's kind of like, uh, you know, we have these rules that the, the, the football wants, or the schools and football, of course, but the, the war on drugs, the war on drugs was, was a new thing. So there was a, a, a big, like, backlash to that. And, and I think a lot of people were probably a little ticked off that they couldn't participate in the things that they wanted to do and also do other things that they wanted to do. And, uh, see it as a kind of infringement on their on their rights, so to speak. But you know, I guess uh, I guess you're dealing with kids here too. So then there's also that element that's a little iffy. But yeah, I mean, they've got I don't know. You probably, do you follow the UFC, Mike? Yeah, I uh, I know about the their like 
Yeah, some policies with weed and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so a guy will smoke some weed in between fights, and then he'll get banned for, like, years. And they argue that it's a performance-enhancing drug. And, I mean, they're a voluntary organization, I guess. Um, Quasi, I suppose. I mean, I mean, they're voluntary, but can you just... I mean, when when they ban you, it almost, like, forces you to go fight, you know, overseas and that sort of thing. And I, they'll just hand down the, the most strict things for, I mean, how could you really argue that some guy smokes weed after a fight to help recover and recuperate and to, like, dull the pain or whatever? Yeah. And, I mean, you're an adult. I don't know. It, it gets into some gray areas, I suppose. But Happy birthday to the ground. That's what I think of when you say I'm an adult. Yes, yes I am. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, to your point about it being voluntary, I think it is voluntary to to a degree, but because there are state licensing boards about whether they can fight or not, whether they're authorized to uh, hold events in certain states, or like the NFL, even you know, it's it's a um, big daddy government protected racket. It's a it's a cartel arrangement that really doesn't provide any alternatives. So a player is kind of beholden to this cartel arrangement. And it's the absence of alternatives that I think makes it a little bit less voluntary than would otherwise be. And to pull my former leftism into this mix, I'd say that there's a power differential and that the, uh, the ones holding the power have, have it illegitimately and, and thus it kind of makes it less than voluntary. Hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. They, I mean, they are there somewhat illegitimately because they use the power of government to maintain like a quasi-monopoly somewhat. Because they, they will at least, at least not, if not mo- uh, monopoly, at least uh, uh, an advantage, an unfair, I guess if you could say unfair advantage, because you're using like taxpayer funds to build your stadiums and taking all that crap, whereas some kind of fresh new upstart like uh, the XFL by Jim McMahon wouldn't necessarily be have have all those advantages. So even though it's technically, yeah, free competition, not really because you have this government backing advantage, which is obviously funded by theft. So I see your point. Well, all right. So uh, if we can move on to uh, the next thing I just wanted to bring up, this was set in 1976. And so they play up the bicentennial a little bit. And one of the teachers... Uh, as the class is letting out, says, hey, remember this whole thing while you're out celebrating is all because some aristocratic slave-owning white men didn't want to pay their taxes. Hmm. Yes. As if that was the only problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That kind of mentality kind of uh, demonizes those who don't want to pay uh, as much of taxes, even though, you know, back then it was like something akin to 3%. Versus now it's, you know, 40 or 50 percent, depending on how you how you calculate it. So it's a way of like downplaying that taxes are even bad to begin with. And to have a teacher telling that to students, I mean, I guess that's just par for the course, right? Like if the state is in charge of education, what do you think the education is going to be about, about how right. great the state is? Definitely. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that always struck me as like... Uh, like that seems to be the same through line, like even till today with the these social justice warriors. It's like, you know, it's all about paying your fair share. If somebody 
if somebody doesn't pay their taxes, it's seen as like a bad, bad thing. It's like, yeah, okay, uh, this, this kind of contributing to the, to, to, uh, to everything. And, and whereas obviously our views and my view is that taxation is theft. And, uh, and yeah, that's a pretty goddamn reason, a, a good reason, uh, to, uh, you know, start a revolution. <laughs> yeah. And it's like these leftists, they have no understanding of, of what is actually doing good for society overall. I mean, it's the entrepreneurs going out creating projects and or products and services that make everyone's lives better at lower prices and higher quality, that does a material increase in the standard of living. But taxes is just a waste. It, it's taken from people against their will. I mean, some people, I guess, willingly pay. And there's nothing stopping them from paying more, by the way. And I'll put a link down below where you can volunteer more money to government if you guys wish. But <laughs> uh, if, if we learn anything from Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt, it's that uh, people will have fewer options if the money is taken away from them. Like they would have gone one more level down on their value scale, uh, on their preference scale, if they had more money. But because it's taken from them, they don't, they no longer have that option and it's necessarily put into something they wouldn't otherwise have chosen, right? Because otherwise it wouldn't be coercive, it wouldn't be theft, it wouldn't be uh, uh, a legal problem if you don't pay. And it goes towards boondoggles. It goes towards the bureaucratic process that is all about growing budgets for next year, uh, getting more of a, um, uh, a what do you call it, like a little fiefdom. Like mm -hmm. each little department wants to grow their headcount and grow their uh, reach of their power and all of these things. And that's uh, the exact opposite of the market mechanism. And so we see that going on uh, even in this film where they have the, uh, at the end of the movie, they go to this, Moon Tower, and apparently that was built as some some sort of um, a boondoggle from government, and they're like, they don't even know why it's there, but it is there, and it hasn't been maintained in years, and, and they make a joke about some kid falling down who had one beer, and oh, look, there's his blood on you know, every every beam all the way down this thing. Yeah, I feel like I feel like every uh, little town has some kind of government boondoggle, you know, some kind of old... Just a bunch of waste, uh, you know, taxpayer wasted money, some, some things sitting around, uh, you know, in every little sleepy town in America. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the pork, man. That's, that's what gets <laughs> everyone voting for, uh, for, vote for more stuff. Yeah. Right, because there's this big pie and you, you want a bigger and bigger piece of it for you and yours because that'll get you reelected and it's just an entire vampire squid system it's, it's it's horrific and how statists can support it only through uh emotional indoctrination and it is quite strong i mean it, it does take quite a bit of inertia to break away from it uh i was i was lucky we mentioned this on a previous show but with the uh dislocation in the markets in 2007 2008 uh, i was already questioning things and then you start hearing about ron paul and, and you just start figuring this stuff out and, and it becomes uh, crystal clear. Like you can look out on the world and, and see it uh, so much easier now with, with a, a principled approach and, and a lens to, with which to view things. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It really is like once you get the understanding down that there's just, you know, that there's a nature to what the state is and that nature is based upon force and coercion. Once you understand that that's their, that's their built in operating system. Yeah. Everything you, you see everything with such clarity and simplicity after that. It's like, you know, it's, it's like a whole new world. But, uh, 
but yeah, I could see, I could see how it could be kind of uh, challenging for a lot of people to break from that mold. You know, uh, well, one thing that's always interesting that we see is that, you know, whenever, whenever government uh, fails, right, they always get more money and, and uh, they never succeed. So they always keep failing and getting more money. So growing yeah. there, uh, as you said before. Rewarded for failure. So right. yeah, they don't have any, any reason to improve. Uh, but, you know, the, the point you just made a moment ago uh, where once you kind of have an understanding and, and I'll just say, you know, libertarianism and, and Austrian economics really gives you a model through which you can see things more clearly. Uh, related to one of your recent episodes on your show where you're talking about mental awareness month, May yeah. being mental awareness or mental illness, um, I've always thought that one of the contributors to mental illness is the fact that people look out at the world and it's confusing. And, you know, black is white, everything's the opposite. It's like very Orwellian, you know, like hitting people is bad, stealing is bad, but the government does it and it's fine. And I think that people can't quite put their finger on it. And so it, it lends to uh, feeling a sense of hopelessness. And, you know, there's so many restrictions on what you can even do with your own body, like starting a business, uh, driving a car. You know, you name it, uh, the government's going to be involved in, in so many little aspects of your life. And I know for me personally, you know, it's, it's limited what I've been willing to do as an entrepreneur. Like I thought about, you know, starting various businesses over the years and I always run into, well, I need this license and that license and this registration and this other thing over here. Uh, so I, I guess what I'm sort of convolutedly saying is that, uh, I think that mental illness is contributed by the, culture or the society that a state creates mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. it, it doesn't line up with how humans interact. You know, it doesn't right. line up with voluntarism. And so uh, I only listened to, to half of your, half of that show before this call. So maybe you go into it a little bit more, but do you want to talk about that a little bit before we move on? Yeah, yeah. I, d I dive into it a little deeper uh, in the rest of the show. And I'm working on this thing, I guess you could call it a theory. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know, it's just something I'm working on, like where the state distorts, you know, it, it distorts everything. Uh, the, when, once you introduce the notion of legitimized, uh, or, you know, perceived legitimate authority, uh, and the, and the right to use force, um, you know, that, at that then sets the precedent, which, uh, lets like a, like a, like a domino effect flow down the hierarchical chart of organizations. So now everybody aspires to be like the rule setters, the game setters, the, the, the state in this case, because they're the ones with the threatening violence and using guns and, and forcing people to do things. So that distorts the entire spectrum of things. That has effects on corporations and businesses. It has effects on everyone. It, it, it has effects on people's behavior. So now behavior is rewarded for being most like the state. If you're, if you're duplicitous, malicious, and deceitful, you're rewarded because that's how the state is. Um, and so it does distort this natural human flow. And I do feel like people are conflicted. I sure was and, and am so, for a certain degree. And, um, and yeah, and you're conflicted because you, you want to put value into the world and contribute to society. But a lot of what the state uh, brings in just by its mere presence uh, is a distortion of that natural flow of human free voluntary uh interaction and i uh, and i'll just say that uh it, it, i think it totally contributes to to mental uh, you know what we call mental illness and one of the things i love about dazing infused 
is it's set in 1976 where there was l much less rules and regulations. Uh, you know, so uh, a better a better kind of environment, I think. Right, and a, and a corollary to that is that the potency of the drugs was also much less uh, because in response to all the additional regulations and, and illegality of it, um, things have needed to become more potent to make it worthwhile, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where when, once you're forced to hide from the authority figures who are pointing guns at you, you have to do things in a little bit of a different way. So you never know what you're going to get in terms of drugs being, you know, things mixed and mixed with chemicals that you didn't want, that you don't want to put in your body. So it's much better to do these kinds of things uh, on the up and up, uh, you know, like, like, like free human beings should be allowed to do, you know, exchanging, exchanging goods and services that we actually want and not having to, uh, you know, hide and, and, and enter into uh, black markets. Right. Yeah. That's what the market does, right? Market reduces costs and improves quality. So right. if this was just left to the market without all the running around and not being able to use the, the courts as a means to resolve disputes and all the other things associated with black markets, um, yeah, we would just be, you'd be able to go down to the corner drugstore or whatever or order on Silk Road, which is criminal that that guy's in jail. Yeah. Um, and uh, you could be assured that the quality is much higher and you could like see all the reviews and, you know, it'd be like ordering on Amazon uh, and it would be, uh, and everybody knows how good Amazon is. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike, and what you were describing about the worst rising to the top, that's, that's the Hayekian insight uh, regarding the political game that he spells out in uh, the road to serfdom. And, it, it lends itself to the most sadistic authoritarians who reach for that ring of power to mix my movies and references <laughs> and metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that lines me uh, up to the next topic that we wanted to discuss, and that is the, uh, the bullies going around hazing the freshman boys, uh, going to paddle them. Uh, you know, they, they're in woodshop making these paddles with holes in them, and it's called like uh, the soul pole and the uh, fuck you. Uh, so Robert, you want to you want to kick off this discussion? I sure do. This is a big sticking point for me in this movie. Um, it's interesting because, well, on many reasons, but in the very beginning, um, I know you had a point that the bullies get off school and they drive over to the middle school, and um, one of them pulls out like this bullhorn and he starts just broadcasting in front of everybody that um, he's going to promise to only beat you a little bit if you come out voluntarily and then he's gonna if you make if you make him work for it then it's gonna be worse you're gonna get a worse beating later you sound and like every, every election make, ever <laughs> right like some sort of false political promise right yeah it's the Walter Block uh, Batty A promises to whip us only three times a week for Batty B says five times a week and so you got to pick between the two and and he uses that as a justification for voting or at least supporting one candidate over another but i look at both of them as a political promise that uh you know 99 percent of the time will not be uh not be uh, followed through on so i i consider them both fucking liars and uh think that beating is bad so uh that's what this scene reminded me of when they're you know promising one thing if you come out voluntarily well we won't beat you that hard but Who's to say, you know, like how, how would the, how would you know? Uh, I'm sure right, that, you're dealing with somebody, you're dealing with somebody who is 
instantly showing and telling you that, hey, I'm a thug, I'm going to use violence against you. So you already can tell that you can't trust this person to act honorably. So how could you take their word for anything they say or do? So, yeah, you can't trust that someone like that. That It's like if someone comes up and mugs you and promises to be nice. It's Yeah, you can't. No. Um, but it's interesting in the movie, right as he after he calls out on his bullhorn, um, the kids go up to the teacher. And the teacher is like this Vietnam War veteran. And they're like, hey, any minute, you know, he let us out, you know, we might be able to escape these guys. It would be really cool if you'd let us go, get, let us go out of this prison. And he basically tells them no, because he had a tough time in Vietnam, and some of you guys are going to make it, and other guys aren't. And just how the indifference of the adults to this uh, assault and violence uh, just helps perpetuate it. Yes or no, Daniel? Yeah, I agree. There was a lot of indifference. Um, I think even the intellectual group makes uh, makes note of that. Uh, during the girl hazing, which I think you wanted to talk about the difference between the boys and the girls, how they're treated in this film. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing how uh, people in this town just kind of allow this to happen. Uh, I'm sure it's illegal and, and it shouldn't be happening. You know, kids are getting beat up and, and harassed. Uh, but here they're over here selling confessions. <laughs> and they're in, yeah, they're in this parking lot. And, yeah. Um, the I, big difference I, I, between... Oh. oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no. Well, I was just going to say, uh, I also, um, the, I like that point that you made because I remember that scene with the, with the Vietnam veteran. Uh, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, 50 of you going in the jungle, 25 of you ain't coming back. Like that, that was his, his line. But, uh, but he, but that, that kind of illustrates the point that I'm making, like the, the Vietnam War. So many, uh, people were kidnapped and, and forced to go and murder people in a foreign land because the state decreed that that was what was going on. So the state kind of distorts the natural flow of humanity and then causes this major distortion in the culture, which has a trickle-down effect, where now this guy is basically like, hey, I got sent to Vietnam, I did some shit, so you kids are going to get paddled. <laughs> That's really not that bad. They, they don't care. They let it go. It kind of becomes violence and force becomes a part of the culture. Yeah, you know, I have a great, I have a great point. Yeah. That is a great point. And I, have a, I have a good quote that lines up with this almost perfectly. I just posted it to our Twitter account yesterday. Uh, it's Aldous Huxley, and here's the quote. The most shocking fact about war is that its victims and its instruments are individual human beings, and that these individual human beings are condemned by the monstrous conventions of politics to murder or be murdered in quarrels not their own. Yeah, sure. Aldous Huxley. Yeah, so this guy was a, a damaged psyche he's got a damaged human being so yeah if he hadn't have been subject to the kidnapping and forced violence that was in the war maybe he would have been more sympathetic to our our characters in this movie for sure mm -hmm. yeah and another offshoot you know we were talking about mental Ill illness and damage caused by the state i mean just think of all the people who have gone to war and have come back I mean, let alone the death and destruction that that's perpetrated uh both on foreign people and then the people at home uh but I think something, uh, some astronomical amount of people who are veterans are, are committing suicide, uh, even today as a result yeah. of all of this. 22, uh, 22 a day. Wow. Yeah. It's just madness. Yeah. And, and I don't mean in the uh, mental illness way. I mean, the, the fact that the state gets away with this, you know, that, that what they do is not looked upon as, as being a bad thing. 
uh, and and the the you know Joe six pack response is uh, support our troops or or wear like a yellow ribbon or something. Right. Yeah. The 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 use of tradition and patriotism is is strong. Yeah, and the cognitive dissonance which must go on in everyone's mind, where it's you know murder is bad, murder is wrong. You kill somebody, it's bad but you do it for the state and it's good and celebrated and you're a hero and everyone's going to love you. That's got to, that's got to weigh on your mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, so Rob, I wanted Rob, to talk, yeah, I wanted to talk about the differences in the treatment of the girls and the boys. Um, in, in the movie, the girls at one point they're in the parking lot. And I think it was, I don't, I don't remember the names of the characters or whatever, but at one point, the senior girl is talking to a, uh, incoming freshman girl. And she's explaining kind of what's going to happen in this hazing ritual. And she asks her, are you in? Like, do you want to voluntarily join in on this activity? Whereas with the boys, there's like this hit squad that runs around, drives around, and just violently assault people as they're trying to escape and get away. Um, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of point to make other than that the disposable male in society is um, an issue. Uh, the fact that violence towards boys and men is very much seen as like this normal okay thing. I guess like the incarceration rate um and the punishment times for male perpetrators of the same crime versus women's is far greater. Uh, the conviction rates are far higher. Um, and just the overall idea that men, it's okay to hit a guy and hit a boy, or it's just boys will be boys, and they'll just attack each other, and it's fine. Whereas girls are seen as, you know, kind of off limits for that, which is good. But I don't really have, um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's frustrating for me. I mean, I understand that you need, as a as a species, women, you know, they're the baby makers. They're the life bringers. So you can have one man and 20 women and you'll be okay. But the disposable male, especially for uh, an anarchist who believes in self-ownership, is uh, just an abhorrent concept to me. Um, thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I just wanted to mention, you know, equality. Um you know, this big SJW movement for equality and everything. And, right. uh, but of course they don't want equality in how, uh, they're treated in, in the ways that you mentioned where men are, are mistreated more so than women. Uh, and really any adjustment should be made in the opposite direction should be that men are also not drafted or, uh, treated poorly or lose all these court cases just because they have a penis, you know, all of those things. And, uh, I, I think that you know, the society or, or the general political process seems to be trending the other direction, where now they're celebrating the fact that uh, women might be able to be drafted as well, as if that's such a great thing, you know, being conscripted into essentially slavery uh, into a military uh, duty, which which I think is, is definitely the wrong direction to go. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, the main sticking point for me and this is a big question, and I'd love to get everybody's response on this. Um, the O'Banion character, played by Ben Affleck, is like the big villain, bully piece of shit in the movie, where he's seen as this 
just a total dick. He runs around chasing after people and then really getting off on the sadistic violence where he comes and assaults you. Um, but he, for me, it's like he's kind of being, he's the one that's playing it honestly because he'll come out and he's just like an open dick. Everybody hates him. You know he's a piece of shit. He's a fucking piece of shit. But the other guys, so there's a scene where, like, the young kid is pitching in this baseball game, and O'Banion and a couple of his buddies are waiting in the stands to assault him after the game. And so O'Banion and his buddies are all beating the shit out of him. And then the main character, the Pink Floyd guy, he comes up afterwards, and he takes the paddle, and he kind of swats and just barely touches him. And then he comes up and he says, hey, it'd be really cool if you came out and hung out with us later. Because if you show that it wasn't a big deal and everything's cool, then it'll be like you're cool. And it really kind of just goes to psychologically, like ingratiate yourself to your to your attackers. Because if you come out and say that, yeah, it didn't really bother me that you assaulted me then they didn't really commit a crime because your victim is cool with what you did. So if you come out and hang out with us and party and whatever, then kind of absolves us of the assault. So the duplicitous one, the, the kind of the Pink Floyd guy, I almost have a worse problem with him making this violence okay because O'Banion's like opening piece of shit, obviously, about it, but at least he's honest. Um, whereas the other guys are acting or working to normalize it. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I see exactly. I see what you're saying. Um, and, and, uh, I think that, so I, I I'm pretty sure that in the, in the movie where the town there takes place, that it, it, it kind of has become this thing that is the way like it, it is normalized already. And I think that it's become this like long standing tradition where it's like expected, like all the kids know. So it's kind of it's kind of one of these like almost un unwritten rule kind of things between the younger kids and the and the older kids and and it's where it's this like initiation, rite of passage kind of thing. But uh but yeah, I, I, I think that uh the Pink Floyd guy, he's kind of just going with the flow. And he's kind of just playing to the tradition of what, you know, you're kind of supposed to do. Whereas uh, the way that I see it is the O'Banion guy is like just really like playing it literally like like it's life yeah. or death. Like it's his like it's his life, you know, which is sick, which is like a little sadistic where the other guys are just like, hey, this is like a thing we do. It's kind of tradition, you know, whatever. Um, he seems to really like get off on it. And that's kind of scary. Yeah, my my thoughts on O'Banion was, you know, he's the kind of guy who who later on becomes a cop or something. Right. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of cheering when he uh, tracks two of the kids down at their home, and their mom just like busts open and sticks a shotgun in his face. I mean, sure, it it made O'Banion like almost you know get pissed about that and act like he was the victim later on. Like, did you hear that? This lady pulled a shotgun on me. Can you imagine that? I was there in her front yard assaulting her children, and and she she like took offense to that. Can you believe it? 
<laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, yeah, and and I can I really like that scene though because it really does illustrate kind of an anarchist perspective, like you know, protecting yourself on your property. She's like, get the hell off my property, and she has a shotgun, and that's it. You know what I mean? There's no need to call the police, file a report, or do anything else, nothing like that. You don't have to get the FBI. We don't have to install NSA stingrays and cameras everywhere. It's just she's got a gun, he's got a paddle, get the hell out of here. That's how we, that's how we handle our business. I think if that were to happen today, though, then, then you would have police involvement because yeah. I'm sure the O'Banion would have called the cop and been like, oh, she pulled a gun on me. And then a SWAT team shows up. <laughs> right. Oh, man. But, you know, I, I do think that even though she was defending her kids, uh, there was an awareness that this was not a, um, an assault with, like, deadly intent. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the assault could have gone awry. But to come back with deadly defensive force might have been a little out of scale. What do you guys think on that? I had zero problem with it. You've got a young, like, strong like in his prime 18 year old male with a weapon in his hand and you've got two kids and uh, a woman defending their home. You don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a tradition in the school, you know, what's going to happen generally, but you're also dealing with a psychopath that is like sadistic and getting off on this stuff. Um, yeah, your kid's probably not going to die, but you know, people have died from less things than um, getting smacked with uh, a, a baseball bat, essentially. Or, or a cricket bat. I think bat. it was out of, out of proportion. No, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, this might be a good time to bring up, uh, there's been some hazing stories in the news recently. Robert, you want to just touch on those? Yeah. So it's uh, Penn State and in Upper New York, right around where Mike's from, um, there have been some much publicized hazing deaths. Um, in the New York case, I believe is some guys who, uh, like punched and hit the, the, the victim. Um, whereas in the, uh, Penn State situation, like the guy drank a bunch of alcohol. And, um, in the news, the family is of course very much aggrieved, but they're treating it as if um, their kid was the victim of like a violent assault. Like they forced him to drink a bunch of alcohol and that sort of thing. Um, whereas I see it as, I mean, yeah, once you're kind of like involved in that social situation, yeah, there's some pressure to go along with it. This is a thing, but this is a thing you're voluntarily doing and you're supposed to be the adult and you're supposed to decide for yourself if you've had too much. Um, they talk about how he was treated as roadkill because they put some like books, like a backpack on his back. Well, that's just to prevent you from rolling over. I mean, that's kind of what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah, they did take an extra long time before they brought him into like a hospital situation, but I'm sure everybody was fairly inebriated. I mean, I'm not trying to say that, you know, it's not a tragedy when people die, of course, but it, it, they're being, they're probably going to be, um, prosecuted for murder or accessory like the kids in New York were. They're, uh, I think they're brought up on like manslaughter charges. And it, it really seems weird for me to say that, hey, we're, uh, we are a fraternity. We're an organization where 
there is kind of like this hazing ritual if you want to join. This is a voluntary thing that you want to join. This is what we do. We drink a lot, and sometimes things get a little crazy. And every once in a while, someone's going to die. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the way it is. <laughs> There's going to be some pressure for you to probably drink a lot of alcohol, and you're probably not used to that yet, coming like straight from – you know, high school, maybe you're not into that. And then you go to college and then all of a sudden there's all this booze everywhere. I know that was like that for me. And you're not going to necessarily have the best understanding of, you know, how much you can handle. Um, but it is a completely voluntary thing. And to go then afterwards and say, man, I'm going to blame these other people for my bad decisions. Uh, yeah, I've got an issue with that. Mike, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I agree with you too. It's like, you know, when you're, everybody knows what, a, what fraternities do. And especially, you know, I mean, you know, because you have fraternities and sororities and they both kind of handle them differently. And actually in, in the movie Days Confused, that, that, that kind of, ex, those, uh, fraternity and sorority elements extend down to the high school. Um, I, I, re, I remember, you know, I never pledged a fraternity or anything, but I remember, um, uh, in high school, I played on the football team and there was a little bit of hazing, but it was nothing that was like super violent and stuff. And I think that if it was, I would have probably complained about it or something, but you know, that's, that's not really a fraternity. Fraternity is where you make the choice to, to enter into this thing where you know that there's going to be these kinds of, uh, situations that are going to be present and that there's going to be kind of expectations to be put on you. So I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame. I mean, I think that at any, at any point, you know, you can kind of walk away and just say, you don't want to be a part of this anymore. I, you know, that's why I, I didn't do it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is weird. Like there, there are going to be these kind of freak accidents, these things that happen. And obviously with, with men, you know, there's this kind of like need to prove that you're the masculine and you're physical and you're dominant and you're, and you're stronger than everybody else and that sort of thing. It's this kind of macho alpha male kind of thing. And, uh, that can get a little carried away, I think. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. yeah I, know I mean, it's tricky. Yeah. Where, uh, Robert and I went to college together, they actually outlawed or banned having fraternities as a result of this type of behavior. Um, I'm not sure exactly like what the effects of that were. I mean, we, neither one of us like, would have pledged, I don't believe. Um, but they do have a point in the hazing ritual in that it brings people together on an emotional level. Like if you go through some shit together, you kind of form an emotional bond. And right or wrong, I mean, I think that's the reason that they do it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as, as you were saying, pledging a fraternity is a voluntary situation. Uh, but I did want to mention that, like, rookies in baseball, they're often hazed to a degree where they have to carry the bags or the veteran players, or they have to dress as women, uh, dress up in, in skirts and, and things like that. And that was in the news a couple of years ago because uh, that was causing an SJW stir with the whole gender uh, issue. And so now Major League Baseball has said, okay, we'll no longer allow this hazing of cross-dressing to occur because it offends people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean... It's just, uh, that's, that's so ridiculous. I mean, just because it offends some people. I mean, if it offends you, don't pay attention to it. You know, ba baseball is, uh, is a male sport. Uh, you know, men play baseball. And 
that's what, yeah, you're right. It's like that's what guys do to each other. Every every relationship I think you know that I've ever like been in with a group of guys like ma- making guy friends, there's always some kind of initiation that takes place. There's always some kind of ribbing or or you know busting balls or you know some kind of initiation process to see if you're kind of worthy to to be associated with the people that you're hanging out with. Uh, you know, uh, there's a, a big spectrum, you know, from just kind of making fun of people verbally to, you know, assaulting people physically. But uh, that's that's kind of what it is, at least for men. That's all I can really speak to about that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There is there's always going to be a level of, hey, is this guy cool? And how, how you get about deciding that um, varies. Um, but with the casual violence of the state. Toxicing, toxifying, and poisoning everyone's minds. Um, who knows what the ANCAP world would be like? Would there be a whole bunch of hazing rituals and things like that? Maybe. Um, you know, I, I've been uh, wondering. I, I'm offended by the state and its actions. Why is that not a big deal? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We should we should all get together actually and and do like social justice warriors do and 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 make some kind of emotional. I'm offended by the state video or something like that. I think that would be great. <laughs> like crying, you know what I mean? Just like, oh, they say Pledge of Allegiance. Actually, I, but, but uh, this, you're, you're right, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that point about the state toxifying and, and whatnot because, you know, these hazing rituals and this fraternity element kind of comes from the state. It comes from the military. You know, when you join the military, there's that, there's that hazing uh, aspect of it that happens. I mean, uh, you know, this boot camp, you could say, is just one big eight-long-week hazing event. Yeah, so, to break, break you down. You're no right, longer exactly. an individual. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let's get back to the movie. Um, uh, the next thing, the next note I had was the kids are like, so the, the kid that has been hazed is now hanging out with the guys. And... Um, Let's see. Does the uh, does the McConaughey scene happen before that, where he's talking about him getting older, and then everybody else stays the same age? No, it happens a little bit later. Uh, so right after the hazing stuff, they they're all cruising around, right? They're like going to the drive-in, uh, uh, burger joint, or they're at the pool hall, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I had the uh, smashing mailboxes. I think that was later, though, right? Yeah, that's later as well. So here's here's this this area is where they're like cruising. You know, and, and I know when we were growing up, it was kind of a thing, and I, we might have done it once or twice, but uh, all these cities put these uh, no cruising ordinances, so there's all these signs up that said, uh, do not drive past the sign more than, you know, twice in a half an hour or something ridiculous. Like, they try to outlaw cruising. Whoa, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, that's crazy. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, yeah, back when it was a thing, I don't think kids do it so much these days because we have, like, smartphones and other forms of entertainment. But, yeah, back then it was... That's how you hung out with your friends and sort of thing. Yeah, it's like, you know, exercising, flexing that uh, freedom. You know, you've got a, a license to drive a car. And that was back when you could have young people in the car with you. Um, where we are now, Washington State, uh, it's like a graduated license structure now. So you have a permit for a while and then you can drive just by yourself or with a parent for a while. Like you can't have anyone under the age of 18 in your car for like a year or two, something ridiculous like that. Oh my God. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So it totally shuts down the whole cruising thing. And, you know, we're from a small town. And so we'd actually go to a medium sized town that had like one main drag. 
Uh, one of them was called Marysville, the other one was called Mount Vernon, and they both had these no cruising ordinances as a result of all of this. Wow. Uh, but yeah, what, that's crazy. One of the things they talked about when they were cruising in the film was the, the car with the intellectuals. Uh, the one guy, I think his name's Mike, he said that uh, he had wanted to be an ACL, ACLU lawyer to like stand up for the little guy and fight for justice. You know, the standard SJW stuff. Um, but then he starts, you know, waxing philosophical about how he actually doesn't like people and he, he wouldn't want to actually help uh, the people that uh, he would, you know, be trained to help or whatever. Like he's standing in line at the post office and like everyone's disgusting and he actually hates people. And so now he's just honest about being a misanthrope. And I think that sort of plays into uh, what attracts people to positions of government or like social justice. You know, it's like the the first layer is, oh, you're you're doing a good thing. You're helping people. But the, the sub uh, surface level stuff is, well, you're you're, you know, depending on theft for funds and you're in the bureaucratic process. And uh, it's so you can like lord it over people. You know, like if, if Obanian became a cop or this guy became an ACLU lawyer, uh, all that kind of stuff, like it, it is actually like for their own individual benefit, uh, but it has this sort of like panache to it, this uh, this cover story that makes it sound benevolent or uh, or a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's how uh, people are attracted to being a politician and whatnot, because it's almost venerated in this world for some reason. You, you see it all the time in movies where, People will talk about how they are public servants and not like public leeches, yeah. because it's, it's it's far better to think about yourself as the hero in the story, right? Not as like a bad person doing bad things. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think it's it's interesting because a lot. I think a lot of the characters in in Days and Confused have like uh, they're 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 con- <laughs> well. <laughs> As the title yeah. so aptly suggests, they are confused. I mean, they're teenagers. They're they they don't know who they are and who they want to be, and they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And they are, they're doing it all under you know the guise of this this pr- in in this prison that they've been in. And and as you know, this this takes place on the last day of school as they escape and they're back into the free world and they're exploring all the possibilities that exist. But their whole lives, you know, our whole lives were were shoved into these. These uh these schools these compulsory education institutions, and we're shown this kind of machine-like model of the world where it's just like regurgitating information. A teacher stands in class and she's very you know uh, authoritarian. Everything's authoritarian, um, and so you know maybe it's like a way for Mike to get back at people a little bit. Like hey, I was screwed over. I was putting I was putting this uh, authoritarian indoctrination system. Now I'm gonna you know take take out my have my vengeance or whatever something like that. Yeah, I know Robert and I you know to speak for you Robert even though you're right here uh, we were not big fans of of schooling and I did whatever I could to minimize the amount of schooling I had towards the end of my high school career. Uh, I on a on an official level uh, Robert did it more on a um, go his own way kind of level. But, you know, you think about school, like, yeah, you need to raise your hand for permission. you got to have the hall pass just to be in the hallway. I remember, you know, back in junior high, you know, when, like, say you'd have a cold or something in the winter and you'd cough up something in your mouth. Uh, I'd hold on to it for, like, 20 minutes because I couldn't, you know, leave like we are taking a test or whatever. And it's that kind of shit, you know, like, you can't even go to the bathroom without permission. You can't even go and spit in, in the, you know, in the sink without permission. And it's just that level of control, and it, 
they always say that, that schooling doesn't properly prepare you for society, but I think in a sense it does. Like it, it prepares you to have an authoritarian figure to which you need to, to run to for approval to do anything. Right. Yes. That's it. You hit the nail right on the head. They set the tone from an early age. You know, it's like people always say it's good to learn a language when you're a kid. Well, it's good to learn anything when you're a kid. So the younger that you can get them and the younger you can start kind of brainwashing them into a system of control. And, you know, everybody knows that the education system was built off of the Prussian, you know, model for training soldiers. So it's, it's, it has this kind of, you know, cookie cutter mentality, authoritarian structure, obedience training, um, and uh, you know, it, it narrows the range of options that you. It narrows your perception of the world, and it limits your range of options. And at least this is the, the case for for public, you know, government funded schools. Uh, you know, the worst the worst ones. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I think I see the school as being a major factor in a lot of. Um, uh, what happens in the movie, a lot of the choices, a lot of the decisions that people make, a lot of the actions that the that people take in the movie. Yeah. Right. And it's the backlash that the kids are, are fighting against, right? Because now they yes. get out of school and then they just flex their freedom. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And you're going to make mistakes. And they do. These kids, they do make some mistakes in this movie. Uh, the next scene I wanted to talk about was uh, the main character, the main kid character who was assaulted in the, um, after the baseball game, he's now driving around with a couple of other kids and they are just like letting off steam, you know, celebrating their freedom. And what do they do is they decide to grab some, steal some garbage cans and then smash mailboxes. And I kind of took this scene as kind of like a more innocent, like a more kind of like, or at least not self-aware scene of like a mafia scene where you got a couple of guys driving around doing whatever, doing, you know, committing crimes. And then they're like, Hey, or take this, take this, uh, bowling ball and throw it in a window. Like you need to, you need to take part in this so that you are complicit. So you're not going to like rat on us. Um, just as a way to, you know, kind of absolve themselves or at least make sure that they're not going to get in trouble. Um, but of course what does happen is they stop at a convenience store for some more beer and one of the homeowners comes with a gun to kind of make sure that these kids, you know, pay for what they did. He says that, uh, you know, he's called the cops and, you know, not to move, not to take off. Now, I know, Daniel, you might have an issue with the proportionality of this, but did you is that was that the only problem you had? Do you think he was well within his rights to kind of track down some sort of a justice for himself, or do you think he was completely out of line this this homeowner? Well, to your point earlier, where Obanian was assaulting the two kids on the front line and the and the lady comes out with a shotgun, uh, there is a differential in in power there. So even though she was bringing a a lethal weapon to the defense of another, um, if she didn't have it, then she would have been at a disadvantage. So I think in that case, it was it was appropriate uh, upon further reflection. In this case, it's really hard to say what would be the de facto, you know, correct thing to do in in Ancapistan society, a proprietarian society, because it's really up to the person who's violated to determine what the satisfaction is going to be. And certain societal norms will sort of coalesce together and become like the de facto what you do. I'm not sure exactly what that would be here, but uh, here's a guy who's upset his property's been destroyed. 
Uh, it might have been his mailbox or it might have been his uh, car that had the bowling ball through it. I don't recall. But uh, if you're going to approach somebody, you know, a group of four, you know, young young people in the prime of their lives who have just displayed a penchant for property destruction and, and you could expect some violence, you know, like these Antifa people, uh, I don't think it's out of line to, to have some form of defensive uh, uh, capacity with you when you do confront them. I think shooting at them when they're trying to escape was probably crossing a line uh, because you're, you know, essentially attempting to murder them uh, for trying to escape. So I think that's where he crossed the line. But yeah. I think having a gun with him to confront them is is probably okay. But what he first did was he pulled the gun and stuck it in their face, which is a threatening, you know, like I'm going to kill you kind of a thing. I mean, if he had just had the gun on him, sure. That's one thing. And to just go and confront the people and, hey, you destroyed my property. Hey, I, I'm looking for some justice here. You need to need to pay for it or whatever. But when he raised the gun, I mean, in basic handgun firearm safety, you don't point any gun at anything you don't intend to destroy. And if someone's pointing a gun at you, you can safely defend yourself as if you are about to be murdered. So, and he gets all kinds of messy, but... In my mind, he he crossed the line when he when he pointed the gun at the kids. I will amend my previous statement and agree with you there. Yeah, pointing the gun at them is sufficient to uh, be over the line. Though I'm not sure at what point, you know, what he could have done to make sure he has their attention. I'm sure that's what the attempt was. I don't think he was really going to shoot them. Sort of like uh, the O'Banion wasn't going to kill those kids, at least not uh, consciously. Like he, he intended to only hit them with that stick not murder them with a stick. Of course, anything could happen. But uh, at the same token, I don't think that this guy intended to point the firearm and uh, fire, the, fire the weapon. I don't think that he... Uh, you're right. You're right. He just wanted them to take him seriously. But how do they know? Some right, guy yeah. comes out of the night. You're, you're, you've had a few drinks. You're, you're feeling good. All of a sudden, some guy comes out of the night sticking a gun in your face. What are you supposed to think? Well, Mike, you're in New York. This probably happens to you every other day. What, what's your thought on this? <laughs> so actually, I, I have experience with this because I, I actually I have I have done this. Uh, me and my friends when we were in I think uh, freshman in high school, I I, I uh, we, we knocked over some mailboxes, and that's what they were doing. They were knocking over mailboxes, and uh, I think we probably watched Days and Confused, and we were like, let's go do that. Uh, but uh, but the um, the I found it I found it to be really interesting. What he says when he points the gun at them, he says, uh, tampering with mailboxes is a federal offense. And so mm. it's just like in his mind, it's like this is the ultimate. He even he says it like, uh, you know, like it's a it's a federal offense, boys. Like, do you know what kind of trouble you're in? So he, the state looms large uh, in, in this man's mind. And he's like, he's called the police. This is going to be a big uh, bust. These kids are going to pay for the damage. and. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I have uh, I have no problem with somebody you know protecting their property, but I, I do agree with you guys. You know, sticking it in their face is a little is a little much. Um, and then he does shoot at them, which is like, what if you you know murdered one of those kids? That 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 wouldn't be just restitution for a mailbox uh, thing. Um, and then I'll and I'll just add to that that uh, I think that you know why are these kids you know, smashing mailboxes and stuff like that. You know, why, why, why did, why did I do that when I was in, you know, in high school? I think it's like, 
a, lo- a large part of it, again, going back to being in school, being in this controlled state environment, a, a large part of also being in school is, is kind of almost like you're, you're in a, a woman-controlled world. A, lo- a lot of my teachers were female, uh, you know, from kindergarten to high school. I think majority of teachers are female in the United States. And there's this kind of nanny thing that happens and young boys are told to, you know, behave, sit, sit in their uh, seats and sit in their chairs. And if they act out of line, maybe there's something mentally wrong with them and they they need to be medicated with uh, something or whatever. But I think a lot of it is like, you know, these kids are acting out because I think in, in, in an Ancapistan, in our perfect, in our perfect world, kids, we wouldn't have punk kids like this because kids would be, you know, they'd be able to get their male aggression out a, l- a little bit earlier in a proper set and setting, you know, not in this kind of violent retribution way. Uh, but anyway, that's that's uh, that's my extra added uh, two cents on that on that piece. Yeah, I'll add to that that I think that in Ancapistan, kids this age would actually out be out being productive rather than yeah. destructive because they wouldn't have uh, this uh, near near adult daycare system that they were beholden to going to. Uh, right. I just agree. Throw, throw a little bit of personal stuff at, at you. Uh, on our end, we also uh, had our share with the mailboxes, and I don't know <laughs> if it was related to this film or not. Um, I just thought it was because we were, you know, young kids out to cause trouble. But we we did the whole M80 thing in uh, some mailboxes. But we were we were trying to be good about it. Like we didn't do it to strangers. We did it to, to people that we knew. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. We, we figured if we got in trouble, you know, at least it'd be someone we know, and we could, uh, you know, replace their their mailbox, which we ended up having to do because we got busted by the cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously this genetically, biologically ingrained thing in men that boys that when they need they need to be somewhat aggressive in some way. They need to cause some kind of trouble in some way. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I always saw it as like. Well, if I knock down a mailbox, it's a, it's government property, so you know that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. Robert, um, um, before you go on, I wanted to just bring up one thing. Um, the high school is Lee High School, and that's kind of a thing in the news now, right? Like uh, all these uh, Confederate statues are being taken down in um, southern states, like in. Uh, Louisiana and Georgia and things like that, and it's become this big deal to essentially erase uh, the history, uh, very Orwellian, um, and only focus on the quote-unquote good guys, right, the Union guys. Like, they're not going to take that in the Lincoln Memorial, even though he's responsible for 600,000 deaths, and, um, you know, they always say, if you don't like it, you can leave. Well, uh, Lincoln wouldn't let you. Uh, So they're going to let, you know, Union statues stand, but not... uh, Confederate, and you know this was Lee High School. What would it be called today? You know, like uh, High School McSchooly or Schooly McSchooly High, something like that. Yeah, I mean, not to get into like the whole slavery thing, but um, the War of Secession, as it was called in the South, very much just a, a, an Ancapistan or a libertarian type of value is the right to free association, right? Um, whereas Lincoln was like, no, we're going to start a war and we're going to murder you if you try and secede. Um, and yeah, these, uh, these symbols of the Confederacy are seen as now, they've been so demonized that they're seen as like hate symbols. So the Confederate statue, I, that's what it's called in the media is that they're, they're hate symbols. And uh, I guess uh, Richard Spencer led some kind of uh, torchlight protest 
And since they use torches, that's seen as like racist and hate. And just, it just everything gets branded as hate these days in the media. And uh, from my perspective, it's like really dumb to just blame it, say hate as if they don't have legitimate concerns. It's a really way to just ignore or to demonize your opponent. It's a real ad hom kind of thing as opposed to actually talking about, well, what are their actual grievances? What are they actually saying? What it's, it's just a way to not understand your opponent and uh, yeah, it's just more divisive. And um, it's like I was, um, this is totally an aside, but you know, I live in like socialism capital of the planet. Apparently and I was chatting with line line with a, a lady with a lady and we're going back and forth with all this conversation. It's just perfectly fine and innocuous. We're talking about movies. We're talking about whatever. And then she asked me, you know, what my favorite, my last good book I read was. And I wrote back, you know, we had discussed, like, we didn't really want to talk politics and religion and that sort of thing, because those things can be a bit divisive. But she asked me what my last good book I read was, and I, I had to be honest. And so I said, Atlas Shrugged. And then crickets. Just, I'm not going to just talk to you anymore. This is a, clearly a terrible person that likes Atlas Shrugged. So uh, uh, probably because it's seen as like, like hate or something like that, when I think they just don't understand it. Um, but there's a whole lot of misinformation out there when you don't try and understand what the other people are saying. You just assume that they're bad people. And yeah, these SJWs, they just assume that if you are have an in-group preference, that you're some sort of a racist and that racism is just the, the absolute worst thing in the world when everybody has preferences. Everybody has preferences about everything all the time. All day long. And equality is the antithesis of freedom um, because all you can do to enforce equality is through violence. And uh, it's it's just a really shitty situation. Uh, yeah, all, all you can do is, is handicap the, the gifted, right, to make them equal with, with everyone else. So it's an equality of misery, which is sort of uh, how the education system works. Like they can only teach to uh, the lowest common denominator, right? So the excellent students, the smart ones, the driven ones, it'll be uh, that drive to, to learn will, you know, wear out. Like it'll be driven out of them, which is kind of another unfortunate thing. But uh, back to your comment about um, Atlas Shrugged being a hate symbol and this, this girl being kind of turned off by it. We were looking at a house the other day with uh, the real estate agent. And across the street was a house with a Confederate flag on it. And she made some comment about, oh, I don't know about this neighborhood. You know, people across the street might be a little uh, not your cup of tea. And, you know, she's not an SJW as far as I can tell. She's just somebody who's like probably watches the 5 o'clock news, 6 o'clock news, whatever. And now the Confederate flag is considered a hate symbol. And she's taking that bait hook, line, and sinker. Right, as if the Confederate flag, as if everybody in the South was a member of the KKK. That's that's essentially <laughs> what they've reduced that symbol to. Or yeah. anyone anyone who voted for Trump now is, is KKK, right? Like they call uh, Trump voters, uh, they they only voted for him because of hate, because of racism. Right. Well, if you listen to yeah, what Hillary Clinton says. Yeah. Now I'll agree. Like, but I would say that anyone who voted at all uh, was voting for hate, for you know, hate for the other side, hate for their fellow man, you know, wanting to violently control and domineer over others. Uh, through a convenient mechanism that is nearly costless to them as far as like the individual costs of their actions. 
I, I consider voting to be a violent act, uh, and, and with a very small caveat for uh, possible defensive voting if you're saying no to a, uh, an increase or an additional regulation of some sort. But anytime you're voting for an individual who just wants to make more rules and more regulations and more taxes on you, um, but just for your own preferences, and then it's uh, uh, enforced upon everyone else, that's a violent act. Sure, yeah. and be careful what you wish for when you vote for some violent thing. Every time you vote for some law for against you know to be used against your neighbor, it's only a matter of time before it's used against yourself. So that's a real short-sighted approach. Well, all the Hillary supporters got a flavor of that. I mean, they they cheered every time Obama took a, a step beyond what Congress would allow or executive orders that he said he wouldn't do. Uh, and now all this power has coalesced into the executive and. Now that Trump has it, they're scared to death. They're like, oh, my God, he has so much power. What are we going to do? You know, it's the end of the world. He's going to turn back the clock on civil rights and gay people are going to be put in the camps and all that stuff. When, you know, the last time people were put in the camps, it was one of their heroes. It was FDR putting people in camps because right. they were born somewhere else. Yeah, that always gets overlooked, right? It's like <laughs> so funny. It's just that, that, that things can be you can selectively just pick things through history and just make them fit your narrative however you want it to fit in whatever way and come up with any kind of rationalization, uh, apology for anything. And then as time passes on, then, uh, you know, people who are like Lincoln, like uh, who I, if I'm I think I'm correct when I, when I think there's a picture of Lincoln in the high school where he has bloodshot eyes. I don't know if that's Lincoln or not, but it's, it's someone that they drew bloodshot eyes on. It looked like Lincoln, I think. But but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is—it's just ridiculous how how this mythology takes takes place. Real, actual facts just become something that fits uh, some kind of ideology. And I thought it was interesting, like when Trump didn't Trump recently say something like the Civil War, like how come they couldn't get along or whatever? And then everybody was like, obviously there was you know because of slavery, that was like the big response, like oh, can you believe what Trump said? I, I remember hearing that and just being like, yeah, I mean, why couldn't they get along? You know, maybe maybe Lincoln was a dick. Maybe that's why, you know. <laughs> Not yep. their God, Lincoln. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, Trump yeah, got shit for that. Gone. They were saying a fourth grader could have answered that question, but uh, only because the fourth grader had been indoctrinated right. <laughs> for a few years already. But, yeah, I think Trump had a, had a point. You know, it could have been avoided. Every other civilized country abolished slavery without violence. Uh, why couldn't it have happened here? Uh, he made some reference to Andrew Jackson. If Andrew Jackson had been around, that it, it may have been avoided because he was against this kind of thing. And they, they made fun of the fact that Jackson had died like 15 years before. But that's sort of beside the point. Like Jackson, uh, he wasn't like the greatest guy around, but he did shut down the central bank. Uh, he, he was, uh, Jacksonian, like his line of thinking was, uh, near libertarian. Uh, Murray Rothbard talks about this in several of his lectures. And he would have, I think, permitted or, or been okay with, uh, the states leaving. Like they, they formed a union voluntarily. They should be able to leave the union voluntarily. And it was only Lincoln saying, no, you can't do that. And I'm going to murder you if you try. Yeah. That, uh, it, it became a civil war. It became this, this issue that, totally could have been avoided yeah and and still one of these topics to this very day that's just uh you know if you if you even suggest secession that it's like you know well i guess now it's actually becoming 
a little bit more back into the fray with, with Trump being president and, and now all the, the lefties being like, oh, what about secession? But, you know, it, it, it's still this touchy subject where it's uh, people, people view uh, uh, one centralized government unifying everybody to be something uh, in terms of, you know, to be like uh, considered to be good for, for some strange reason. When, when decentralizing and seceding is looked at as bad, I, I don't know. I, it really, it really hurts my mind to uh, <laughs> to contemplate why people think that. Yeah, the media really did do a number when when Brexit was happening. Well, first they were like, "Well, it's not going to happen. Don't worry about it." But then when it did happen, they're like, "Oh my God, everybody in Great Britain is a racist, homophobe, whatever," as if wanting to secede and you know associate with who you want to associate, and not associate with other people, not be beholden to other people's rule is somehow this evil thing and you're not working together and being one big kumbaya, happy one world government type thing when it's really just people choosing to associate with who they want to associate. Right. But they will demonize that to the ends of the earth, apparently, and say that you're a racist for not wanting to be part of this one giant big group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the next scene up for bid, Robert? Um, I don't really have a whole lot left. Uh, we've covered most of it. The last thing that I thought was kind of funny, well, there's a couple of them, but the, they go to this party. It's a, it's a moon tower and the kind of intellectual guy, um, as he's walking by some like angry drunk guys and, um, the angry drunk guy kind of starts picking a fight with him as if he, he took umbrage with something that he said, some kind of comment like, Oh, somebody's smoking some reefer around here. And he's like, yeah, I smoke weed. So what you angry about that or something? And then there's a bit of a confrontation. And then, so the intellectual guy kind of like feels emasculated and he kind of, he won't let it go. He won't let it go. And he feels like he needs to react and respond to this, like, a front to kind of prove his manhood. And so what he does, is he goes and dumps a beer on the guy's head and then he sucker punches him. And then there's kind of like a fight. Um, I, I don't see kind of anybody acting morally in this situation. Um, I don't think there are any good guys. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do, do either of you see it differently? Daniel, Mike. Oh, uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's. It, it, I think it's just that that particular scene to me is like so. I think typical of the high school kind of bully experience or whatever. You know, it's it like the, you know, like again, like the title suggests. You know, they're, they're they're confused. You know, there's all this like, do I need to? You know, the the macho guy who says, yeah, I'm smoking some weed. You got a problem with it? He's he's taking on a role where he feels like he needs to assert force. He needs to be the tough guy. He has to be the alpha, you know, male in the situation. And and then the other guy feels like, well, you know, I don't know, should I let it slide? Should I not let it slide? And then ultimately he decides not to um, and does something about it. But yeah, I, I, I really, I, I think they're both, um, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like who started it or whatever, two wrongs don't make a right, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, a big, a big mess a big teenage mess of uh, fists and confusion. Yeah. These really are not quite adult people kind of like making mistakes and learning life and living it. And they've been in this 
nanny state indoctrination center their whole lives, being raised by women and being taught by women, and they're not really able to let out their testosterone-fueled aggression and in a kind of a healthy, positive way, and maybe they're reacting to some kind of perceived slight where they're finally able to react to a perceived slight as opposed to all these slights that they just have to sit and take. Like every time someone's telling you not to do something that you want to do, just for the fact that they're establishing dominance and exposing, you know, using some sort of so-called authority over you, which is really just a threat. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to attack you. And so finally they're able to let, react and blow off some steam and, yeah, they make a mess of it. So I don't think anybody's a hero in this scene, but I also don't, you know, necessarily blame them too much either. Daniel, what do you think about that? I totally blame the bully guy. Uh, it wasn't a perceived slight. It was a contrived slight. Like he, he made it a big deal and he made it uh, a thing to go after this weaker guy about. Uh, you know, if it was uh, one of the other like football guys, he wouldn't have said shit, you know, so he was he was doing it to assert his dominance over over a weaker person like a true bully. And I think that he was inappropriate, totally in the wrong. And that the Mike character, yeah, he shouldn't have sucker punched him. But, you know, who's to say what uh, the proper, you know, recompense would be for someone? Because I, I would consider what the what the first guy did to be an aggression. Right. He, he does push him. He does threaten to beat him up. And it's only because he backs away and there's like two other people with him that he even gets out of that situation to begin with. Um, and again, you know, they, they are kids and they are confused and, and they are stuck in this system that has them bottle up all day long, you know, for nine months out of the year. So I, th I think that, you know, it's not outside of the realm of reasoning why this guy would want to, you know, assert his dominance, be that pack animal kind of deal. But I, I still think it was inappropriate for him to do it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely inappropriate for him to do it for sure. I, I forgot that he pushed him. I think he pushes him to the ground. I forgot about that. He does that, but uh, and he gets he's, he's he's like one of these people that just goes. He's so aggressive that you. It's one of those people that you go, wow. There must be something really wrong with you to to get this aggressive about it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, it, there's all these interesting little groups of people in the movie Days Confused, and I think it reflects you know, the high school experience in a true way where all the different cliques, the jocks, the bullies, the stoners, the, int the intellectual people. And it's funny because it's like you were saying, they're bottled up all year. It is really like they're in prison and you have all these little gangs, you know, quote unquote gangs of prison and they go to war with each other. And that's what, that's, that's kind of how it is. So yeah, I, I agree. That guy was being a dick. And I like how the Mike guy described it and said he was a, Super dominant male in a 50s greaser uniform. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, hey, I know we're, uh, we're getting close to the end here. I have a, a hard stop in like 20 minutes. But uh, we haven't even talked about the Matthew McConaughey character uh, very briefly. And then the Parker Posey character, who is crazy, right? She's the one put the girls through the, uh, the ringer. And uh, at, the, at the kegger, she even tells that freshman girl, like, uh, air raid, you know, why aren't you dropping to the ground, freshman? And she is, like, just nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, although what, I mean, she does promise to like make her life a living hell after she doesn't do that. Um, and she is, yeah, you're going around bullying people and threatening them, but I don't, I didn't get the idea or the sense that she was going to physically assault her. Did you get that sense, Daniel? Maybe. Well, it's hard to say if she'd even remember it the next day. I mean, she was stumbling around, but she does 
she does make threats at the end to make her life living hell that could involve violence perhaps uh but as uh, interesting side note in the wiki it says that uh, renee zellweger was thought of for that role but uh she just didn't have that same craziness to her. So Parker Posey got that role and Renee was uh, elsewhere in the film as like a non-speaking part. Huh. But speaking of performances, I want to talk about McConaughey because every line he says is like gold. I mean, he just yeah. plays it so laid back, so cool. And it brings up the whole, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, Robert, the, uh, I get older and they stay the same age. So it's like that whole age of consent thing. And like he's super creepy and gross. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit and then we can start to wind the show down. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of things to say other than it's a huge kind of a gray area. I mean, it's all, I mean, the older he gets, the creepier it gets. Um, but could you argue that people in high school are of the age of consent to engage in any kind of activity that they desire? Um, they haven't, they haven't declared independence necessarily from their parents yet. So they haven't said that, hey, I'm a full adult human being. I'm going to take care of myself. So I'm going to make all my own decisions. But they also, I mean, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's a gray area for me. I'll just put it at that. Mike, is it a gray area for you? I don't know. I see it. I mean, like, yeah, like, how old is he? We don't really know. He, he seems like, uh, I, I, I guess he seems like a guy who's in co- or who was in college but dropped out. So maybe he's 22 or 23. I mean, it, it, yeah, but also it's like back then, you know, the it was eight, you had to be 18 years old. Uh, 18 years old was the uh, was the drinking age. Um, so you could buy beer when you're 18. So there's there and um, you know it, it just seemed that. Uh, there was a little bit more of a leniency with that sort of thing. And, and they're in Texas. So I don't know what the, with the, you know, the laws on the books there are in Texas, but aside from, from those kinds of laws, there seems to be a, you know, aside from the state laws, there seems to be like a uh, general agree agreement between the, the boys, the high school boys and everybody that Matthew McConaughey's presence there is generally accepted. They, they don't really think that he's like, disgusting or creepy but i guess that what he's doing is okay uh and they they get along with him and it seems to be something accepted you know in like an ancapistan state like if there was some creepy guy who was coming and preying on little girls and a group of people decided that this was not a good thing then uh then then i think that they would make that known but i don't think they make that known i think it's it's welcomed and he's kind of seen as almost like uh somewhat of a quasi kind of hero kind of guy to them, to the high school kids, right? Yeah, all the girls are, are into him for sure. Yeah, and yeah. He's like, you know, tapping them all on the butt and everything. And I know today they'd get in trouble for that. But uh, to your point, you know, if, if, if it wasn't welcome in that community of, of individuals, then uh, he would be physically removed, so to speak. Yeah. To, to quote the uh, Triple H, Hans and Herman right. Right. Yes. Yeah. He would. Yeah. There would have to be some kind of physical removal if he was violating the social norms and agreements of the of the uh, you know age of consent that that everybody has come to agree upon what is what is appropriate and whatnot. And uh, you know, I I'm I'm kind of like I remember being in high school and I remember dating a girl that was younger than like she was a freshman and I was a senior. And I think it, I don't know if it was like technically quote unquote like what the state determined is legal. But nobody saw it as like a problem, you know. Nobody was like, "Oh, this guy's way, way too creepy," 
you know, or something like that, you know. I mean, I guess I was still in high school, so it's a little different, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, McConaughey's character, just on a side note, McConaughey's his character in that movie is is awesome, and I love the I love the scene where he's talking to the guy, to the '50s greaser uniform guy uh, that we see that we were just talking about. He's talking to him about his, their muscle cars, and they're like exchanging, like they. That was like a thing that a lot of people did back then, which I don't really see too much of that happening now. But they were like investing in putting different kinds of parts in their cars, and they were talking about how they were kind of building building their cars and stuff. That was kind of a cool scene. Yeah, when we were in high school, it was all about your stereo system and subwoofers and junk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah I had of... an almost identical situation, Mike. I was a senior dating a, a freshman, and um, she had a, a mother who took to calling the cops a lot. So there were several situations where it was like 2 a.m. and I get a phone call from the cops or like 5 o'clock in the morning and then they're knocking on the front door and talking about how it'd be illegal and statutory or whatever, like a rape situation. And I remember I got out of it by saying, well, only if you're having sex, right? Because I knew I could, I mean, it would only be, I'd only be getting caught, I guess you could say, if, if she, you know, claimed that we were doing anything. Yeah. Um, but Damn, yeah. man, that's fucking yeah. badass. You're having the cops called on you? You're like uh, a rebel without a cause? You're like jumping out of windows and having the having the cops <laughs> run after you? Yeah, you'd fit right in with this, with this movie, Days Confused, here. Yeah. <laughs> well, the cops in my hometown weren't the super smartest. Like, I remember one time they called at like 2 in the morning, and I just picked up the phone, and I was sitting there listening. I didn't say hello. And on the cops on the other line, we're like, oh, it just stopped ringing. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and just, I'm sitting there listening and just kind of laughing to myself before I just hung up. And then that was it. But uh, then they showed up the next morning and like, yeah, anyway. Yeah. The, so, cops, yeah. Um, the last or one of the last scenes I wanted to mention before we uh, wrap this thing up was um, the kids are all just chilling on the, in the football field and they're just kind of hanging out. They're drinking a few beers, just having a good time, being peaceful. And then the cops show up, and one of them starts, you know, they're like, what are you doing? And they're clearly just sitting there being peaceful. And then they start barking orders, and so then the people kind of meekly go over there. And then the cops, because this is what cops do, they act like you're the worst person in the world and you're doing something horrible, all of a sudden start acting like hanging out on a football field is, crime of the century and how dare you do this i can't believe you're doing this i'm going to call your coach and the coach is going to act like you're doing something terrible uh at that point they don't have anything on these kids uh, that they had done all night long so but they have to like feel like they need to justify their behavior by claiming that they that the kids were doing something terrible i don't know I i saw that as a really typical of a police move where they're, you know, you're doing something completely innocuous. And so the cop has to escalate it and act like, oh, my God, now what are you doing? I have Now I've got to do all this and treat you like you're a criminal and whatever. And when they're really just like lording over this authority, I was just really disgusted. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the Larkin Rose point, right? Like cops are always trained to escalate to get compliance. Um, though I would quibble with you on whether they were doing anything wrong. You could argue that that property is private property. Now, of course, it's the school and it's the state and is that legitimate ownership, but they do claim to own it. And so uh, you could 
say that they were violating that property. I wouldn't. That is public property. Yeah, public school, right? Yeah, it's a public school. This is where they go to school. I mean, yeah, there are certain hours of operation for this property, but when you're a part owner of a thing, how can you say to be trespassing on it? Right. Yeah, I think they would. They would. I think they would impose those rules, but those rules wouldn't necessarily make sense if that school is a part of the public community funded. uh, Taxpayer, you know, dollars are going to fund this uh, this prison <laughs> that they call school. Yeah. And 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 yeah. So um, I think that uh, they would try and enforce it, but I don't think they would be logically correct in doing so. Yeah. Though I bet if if one of us were to walk into some random school or be on school property and we didn't have a kid there, uh, we would be removed. You know, cops would sure. be involved. In, so, you know, even though I I may have paid for a portion of that school, uh, it goes back to the, um, you know, if everyone owns it, nobody owns it right. uh, argument. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, school's a prison and it's stupid, but I think that, that the people who claim to own it would have an argument that, hey, you're there, not when you're supposed to be, yada, yada. Sure, of course. I mean, there's always like the, if somebody were to get injured, the liability thing and, and that, you know, to take place, so... There's always there's always that argument to be had as well. Um, yeah. Well, and this slides right uh, into. Real quickly. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I wanted to bring up. Pink uh, well, finally decides to not sign that paper and throws it at the coach, and it's sort of like the the closing of his arc to say, no, I'm going to be an individual. I'm going to stick to you know, I might play, but I'm not going to play under these rules. And I think that the point of the film was to say that, uh, you know, that's a good thing. He's being rebellious. He's sticking to his principles. And I, I tend to agree with that. Like my comment earlier, he had already been playing on this team for several years. And sure, they're trying to impose this new uh, agreement. But he, in a negotiation, can say no. And then they can decide whether they still want him to play or not. So I think that's kind of where it sure. is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. Um not to completely go off, but we only have a few more minutes. And I really wanted to talk a little bit about if anybody had an issue with all the um, intoxication while driving that these kids are doing. They're all just driving around drunk or stoned or whatever. Now, for me, there can't be a crime unless there's a victim. And maybe there's – but when they're driving around, like, like erratically, you could say that, you know, you're kind of endangering other people. Um, and that might be kind of a punishable offense in some sense, but, uh, I just wanted to know, get your guys to take on all that of what's going on. I mean, in a, in a pub, in a private situation, I'm sure each, each road owner would be able to decide how much of a, an intoxication level they'd allow and they'd like advertise that. And Hey, if you could, you could drive on this road at 1.5, who cares? And maybe more people would drive on that or fewer people would drive on that, but you'd cater to different parts of the market. But this is a public situation, and so I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that real quick before we wrap this up. Well, hey, before we do that, um, you know, I can leave the call going and just mute myself if you guys want to just continue on. And, Robert, you can, you can feel free to wind the show down. Uh, I just have to be on a work call for, you know, 20 minutes or something. So if you guys have more to talk about, feel free to continue on. I'll just cut this bit out um, and, you know. I don't want to like miss out on anything. And I did want to bring up the whole, uh, the name of the film, Dazed and Confused is of course a, a Led Zeppelin song and they wanted the rights to be able to use the song in the film and they didn't get the rights to use the song. 
but they did get the rights for the name, I guess, and so it's a whole intellectual property thing. That might be a good point to go over. Uh, so you guys want to just keep going on, and I'll just mute myself? Uh, I, I think it's been a good episode. I know. What do you think, Mike? You probably need to get going to your uh, dinner. Yeah, I do. I do actually. And uh, I was going to say, I think this has been a, a great episode. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I guess like uh, maybe just uh, some some finishing thoughts or closing closing uh, points, and then and then yeah, we can cap it off. I, I feel I feel good about this. Sweet. Let's do that, Daniel. Can you give us a few more minutes? And just wrap it up. Yeah. No problem. Okay. Let's go ahead. Who wants to go first? <laughs> oh yeah. So I'll just say yeah. I think that. Um, just to kind of cap it off and, and give like a broad, uh, uh, overview of, of the movie and, and how it represents anarchy. And, and, uh, I, I think that it's, it's a really, really interesting film. You know, it takes place 1776, the bicentennial. Um, there's so many underlying tones of, of, uh, of state aggression and authority that are in the movie. And we see it in all forms with the parents, uh, the coaches, the teachers, um, you know, the, the, the cops, everybody is, is trying to get these kids to conform and, you know, they're trying to uh, impose rules and regulations on them. And I see the whole movie as this kind of, you know, uh, anarchist kind of uh, rebellion uh, to, to the status quo. And I, I liked what uh, Daniel said before about how, you know, P- Pink's choice was uh, he's not going to play under the those rules he uh, he wants to play but he's not going to do it under the those rules so it's either you know take it or leave it you can either have me uh as as the quarterback or i'm just not going to play at all and i like that mentality because that's a really individualist mentality and that's the kind of mentality that that actually moves the needle and gets things to to be changed if people don't conform and they challenge the status quo and they stand up for what they believe in uh so i really really like those elements of the film, and I and I like the the kids kind of rebelling against the authoritarian system of control uh, that's present all around them. Um, and you know, also to keep in mind, these are kids, and uh, they're learning about how the quote unquote real world works. So it's a good representation of you know what are we showing them and how they're responding to it, and you know how could it be different if maybe certain kinds of rules were changed and things weren't like that. So overall, great film. And a uh, lot to dissect in there. And, uh, yeah, really enjoyed this. Very cool. Yeah. Um, to your point, uh, peaceful noncompliance really, really changes things. I mean, you got your main character, Pink Floyd guy, just deciding to, you know, not go along with the, the system so much. And if more people just decided to withdraw their support, um, you know, there's all these, you got to take part in the political process and you got to, that's how change happens. Uh, if, if 20% of the people as a taxpaying public just stop paying, the whole system would just fall apart. I mean, you just got to withdraw your support from the dictator to have him just fall over on his own accord. You don't necessarily have to have some sort of an armed uprising. You just walk away and you just voluntarily associate with who you want to voluntarily associate with. And, uh, yeah, this movie was, Quite excellent. I really did enjoy it. Um, there very much is an anarchist kind of a, a spirit throughout an individualistic approach. And, uh, I mean, that's what the, the podcast is about. It's about um, finding anarchy in uh, pop culture and that sort of thing. And it really does. Anytime you're voluntarily associating with someone and you're deciding to peacefully cooperate, 
you are acting as an anarchist. And uh, there's definitely some, I mean, these are kids. They're, they're making some mistakes. They're, they're blowing off some steam. They're reacting to this violent uh, system that we are all subjugated with. Um, but they're doing the best they can. And it's a, it's a nice little slice of life. Um, all about the same year I was born. So uh, that was fun too. Daniel, your closing thoughts. Uh, I'll just refer back to my uh, previous hour and a half of conversation because I do need to jump off. But, uh, Mike, I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, you've got your show, Mike Adelic. You're no longer part of the problem. You are the problem. <laughs> so we'll be uh, putting a link to that down below. I, I do recommend that people check it out. And I'm also going to include a, a link to that mental illness uh, or mental uh, illness awareness month because I think it was relevant to our conversation and, and you go a little bit deeper into it. Uh, but uh, listeners, thank you for associating with us on a voluntary basis. We have been the actual Anarchy Podcast talking about facing views with Mike Adelic himself. Uh, do click on any of the Amazon links on our website if we do appreciate that. And uh, come back to us next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll be doing another episode. Uh, and maybe bat might be a, a hint. Maybe maybe that won't be the next one, but maybe another one in the future. And Robert, why don't you do a, go ahead and sign us out here, buddy. I just want to thank everybody for listening. I'm at uh, Trubster on Twitter and uh, Actual Anarchy on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook. Review the podcast. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, voluntarily, of course, if you uh, appreciate the conversation, uh, maybe uh, throw in a few shekels. Keep us going. But uh, we're going to keep doing it anyway. I mean, you know, we just love this shit. So uh, be free, my babies, and uh, I love you all. Take care. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do